Please join me now in the prayer uh, for illumination. Let the good news come now, O Lord, not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Amen. So I have my Bible that has a concordance. I recommend everybody have one of these or search online um, because sometimes we get stumped. Um, But I will be working from the Pew Bible, so we'll have the same page numbers. And um, I I have three new and a whole bunch of old, so um, if I don't like the new, I'll just move right along. All right. All right. The first one, I'm going to read it, and then we'll work through it. It says, when Joshua says at the Battle of Jericho, I think says to another man, what side are you on? He says, I am on neither side, but I am on... Oh, okay, all right. So Peyton is reconstructing this from memory. Um, uh, he asks somebody at the, man, uh, at the Battle of Jericho, what side are you on? And the uh, uh, fellow says, I am on neither side, but I am on God's side. What does it mean to be on God's team? Okay, that's a great question. Um, okay, so uh, let's, let's read the, the scripture and... Um, I'm sure it's in Joshua. <laughs> That's the easy part. Um, so the Battle of Jericho. So where are we at here? Um, that should be around Joshua 6, but it might be a little bit before or after. So, all right. So on page 197 in the back section, in the Hebrew Scriptures, um, uh, uh, page 197, I said the back. I meant the front, closer to the front of the book, back in time, back in covenants, front in pages. So let me see if I can confuse you anymore. So page 197, so um, chapter 5, verse 13. All right. So I'm going to read this, and uh, then we'll talk some. So uh, Joshua, Joshua um, 5, verse 13, listen for God's word to you. Once, when Joshua was by Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you one of us or one of our adversaries? He replied, Neither, but as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua worshipped, fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him. And he said to him, What do you command your servant, my lord? The commander of the army of the Lord said to Joshua, Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you stand is holy. All right. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, Joshua has a, um, it says, it, we, we're, we're given some words that are not in the Bible. It says uh, Joshua's vision. So, um, so um, he, he definitely had a vision. He saw a man. But is this a vision vision or is this a man man? So um, uh uh, we have to make an interpretive decision here whether this is going to be a um, uh, somebody who is just one more person like you meet on the street or somebody who has been sent by God uh, from among the angels of heaven. Uh, so how do we do that? First of all, we'll, we'll get to your question, Peyton, about what does this mean. But how do we do that? One of the things that jumps out at me is Joshua fell on his face and worshipped him. And um, even in the book of Revelation, we see uh, people who fall on their face and worship angels are told, don't worship me. 
So um, my first thought, since this is not commented on, since nobody here says, oh no, Joshua, don't worship me, that makes me think that it's not a man, and it's probably not even an angel. This could be an actual appearance of God, um, that this could be an appearance of uh, uh, Jesus in a in a um, an epiphany before the uh, before the time of Christ, or it could be uh, some other uh, uh, theophany of God. Um, in any event, we don't know we don't know much. But the first thing that jumped out at me as I read it is how come he didn't say what they always say, which is "Don't worship me, only worship God." So again, that's a question, not an answer. But it is a it is something that puzzles me. So um, uh, then the person speaks. Uh, it says that we are told that he is the commander of the army of the Lord. So who is the commander of the army of the Lord? Um, uh, I mean, ultimately, you know, you know where the buck stops. So I don't know if that means that this is some sub commander who got that title, or if this means this is in fact the Lord who has appeared to Joshua. Um, so, uh, so I am I am wondering how high of a of a view I should take of this person. But the indicators I have are very high that this is a very high person that that uh, that has appeared before Joshua. Um, but again, I wish it would spell it out and flatly say God appeared to um, to Joshua in a vision or something like that. And unfortunately, it just says he saw a man standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. All right, so. Um, so, uh, what's going on? The, the broader context, we know in chapter 6, Joshua is about to attack um, uh, Jericho. That, um, that they have crossed, the, the people of God have crossed uh, from uh, the, the east side of the Jordan River into, into um, uh, the Holy Land. And they are stuck between the river, which was at flood uh, a couple of pages ago. A great big flood, it parted for them so they could walk through on dry ground. And now they're pinned between this this big fortified city of Joshua uh, of Jericho and the river, so they can't go back and they can't go forward. So they're about to conquer the city of Jericho, and um, and so that's the context. And so you know they do the thing where they walk around all the times and and then they give a shout and the walls fall down. So that's the way we hear the story in chapter six, but that doesn't explain everything that's in chapter 5, but it does invite the idea that um, they are doing the thing that God told them to do. They are crossing into the promised land. This is an obstacle, really an insurmountable obstacle. Nobody could possibly, um, as we read about um, we read about Jericho, where does it describe it? it? It says how big the walls are and everything. So Jericho is this super fortified place. So if I was to... Um, if I was to look for, you know, guidance about how to how to get on God's team, um, uh, wait a minute. Um, I'll come back to how we get on God's team. If I was to look for guidance, what to do when I am on God's team, then um, I would say they are carrying out the work of the Lord, and um, they uh, they do it, um, and uh, and so uh, when you're facing a great big obstacle and and uh, uh, something you can't imagine how you could possibly overcome it is in front of you, and you say to yourself, "Well, this is what God is calling us to do." And so, uh, I think that uh, if there's a, if there's a moral here, if there's inspiration we can take from this story, I would say that it's go ahead. God is on your side. Um, God will will um, remove the obstacles from before you. Now, your question with all that with all that lead up, lead up was. 
how do you get on God's side? Well, the answer, as we heard earlier today, is uh, God, God put us on his side, that there's nothing we have to do, that God adopted us into his family. We heard that language from the, from the Apostle Paul speaking in, in Ephesians. We are on God's side by virtue of the fact that God chose to put us there. And specifically, he imputed his righteousness to us, right? That it's not because I'm so awesome. It's not because I'm smart and handsome like this um, that, that God picked me for his team. It says specifically, he adopted me without any, without any um, uh, 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 warrant that, uh, that, that we can be aware of um, in terms of the way we are, the way we, we look or act or anything like that, that God simply chose us and uh, picked us to be part of his family, and it gave him great pleasure to do so. So that would be my answer to the question um, about how do you get to be on God's team. All right. All right. Question two comes from Psalm 18. This is from Mrs. Jones. Okay. All right. So Psalm 18, so let's find that. Psalm 18 is going to be on page uh, 497, also in the older Hebrew um, front section of the book. All right. Now let me read this question. It's a long one. All right. Psalm 18, verse 2, it says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior sometimes also translated as he is my shield, the power that saves me in my place of safety. We know that Christians are immune from troubles in this world and are even are, are not immune. I, are Christians immune from troubles in this world? Okay, all right. So, all right, I think we missed a word here. So, we know that Christians are not immune from troubles in this world and are even persecuted sometimes. If God is our rock and our shield... What does he protect us from? And which of these metaphors do you prefer to illustrate God's protection? All right. So let's go ahead and look at the passage here. Um, so uh, Psalm 18, uh, verse uh, uh, 2. I'll read verse 1, 2 as well. Uh, 497, Psalm 18, 1 and 2. One, and th- 1 through 3. Let's read the whole chunk. All right. Listen for God's word to you. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. All right. So, uh, we know Christians are not immune from troubles in this world. Yes, we do. Um, Who here is immune from trouble in this world? Because I want to know your tre- your technique, okay? Because I haven't, you know, I want to find that verse because I haven't found it. The ones I find are ones like um, in uh, John. Uh, Jesus says that uh, in this world you will have trouble, uh, but be of good courage. I have overcome the world. Um, it's John fourteen fifteen. Somebody who's good at verses, John fourteen or fifteen somewhere in there. So um, I'm not good at that. So Jesus says. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. Um, at the end of Matthew's, um, uh, sermon, Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, uh, when the rain came up, he doesn't say if, by some bad fortune, you are one of the few Christians where the rain comes up and the, the, the storms blow. Um, 
he says, no, when that happens, your house will stand. So, so I think Christians are, in fact, uh, not guaranteed a, a secret pass to avoid trouble in the world. But that raises the question then, what does it mean, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer? My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. What does it mean that God is all these, all these words of protection? Um, there was a specific thing, um, which of these metaphors do you prefer? Um, well, I'm a parent, and I know the way we answer that sort of question. I think they're both very nice. <laughs> you know, you're not gonna, you know, I, I see these poor pastors, you know, pastors who have video ministries, they wind up on YouTube and somebody's calling them a heretic. So, um, fortunately, no YouTube for me. Um, so I think that they're both very nice. Um, uh, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. Uh, you know, rock, I think that's just, you know, if we think of uh, a fortified location, I'm up on the, the Rocky Mountains, right? Nobody can get to me. You know, think of the dry desert land. I'm on the rock, right? You can't attack me. Um, I'm on firm ground. Uh, you can't knock that out from underneath me. Um, so I think that that's, a, that's an idea of, of um, protection from harm. Shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, all the language here is is defensive language. It's not offensive language. So unlike um, the, the guy with the sword in his hand we just read about, this is defensive. Um, so um, there's a lot of questions here. So uh, <clears throat> if God is our rock or our shield, what does he protect us from? Um, well, the rock, I'm not going to go against that because Jesus says that he is the, the rock you can build your house on. So I like that. Um, you know, we, we as Christians, we have an uneasy relationship with the Hebrew Scriptures, right? We, they are profitable to us. They are useful for instruction. But they are the old covenant. And so we have to work out that tension um, every time we go into the uh, Hebrew Scriptures to understand exactly how much of that applies to us and how much was a promise to the people of God. Uh, in the case of rock, Jesus has specifically used that language for us. And um, Paul uses the language of shield in Ephesians. So if we look at if we look at passages in the New Testament, um, I'm more comfortable saying uh, what what those passages mean. In the case of rock, it means something you can build on, something you can found your life on, um, that won't be won't be um, uh, uh, washed out from underneath you, uh, won't be pried out from underneath you, as the case may be. Um, in the case of a shield, Paul talks about uh, the shield is one of the one of the defensive uh, armaments we have to protect ourselves from. Um, the uh, the schemes of the devil. So um, let me turn to um, Ephesians six, which is in page one ninety five of the of the New Covenant, the New Testament. So um, page one ninety five, starting in verse ten, uh, Paul writes this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand up against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. So standing firm, again, another, even though it's all this talking about uh, the, the, the wiles of the devil and so forth, standing firm. So I think um, 
I think the, the, the picture here is protection from something that could unfoot us, that could knock us off our feet, could knock us on our back, something that could uh, weaken our faith, uh, because that is really where our salvation comes from. Our salvation is not because we're going to be able to defeat the devil ourselves. Our, we're, we're happy if we can withstand the devil, and it's up to Jesus to defeat the devil. So, um, so I think the defensive language, the idea of a strong, a strong um, uh, rock we can stand on, a fortress we can be, um, we can be hidden out in, uh, armor that we can put on. Uh, all these things speak to the idea of uh, God is not um, is going to protect us from uh, the the problems of life, but God will see us through them. That that uh, we will get through the storms. We won't necessarily avoid them. Um, um, I've been I've been uh, reading a book that's uh, referencing the idea of anti fragility. Um, uh, a guy named Nassim Taleb wrote a book back about 10 years ago called Anti-Fragile. And he talked about how, you know, when you go to the hospital, you have, you have no cares, right? You're lying in a bed. You don't have to get your own food. Somebody brings it in on a little tray, right? You would think that would be like the perfect life. But actually what happens is people atrophy there, that we get weaker when everything is taken care of, that in fact, as, as human beings, the way that God made us, we actually need some stress in our life. We need to actually stand on our bones uh, stand on our legs or else our, our bones get weak. You know, one of the things they want us to not do is spend all the time in bed in the hospital. They get you up and make you do laps or whatever like that. So, you know, when I think about that, I wonder if this is, if, you know, I, I've been thinking that that's a secular perspective on, you know, healing in hospitals and so forth. But I've wondered if that's really kind of what is going on here. Um, I wouldn't tell it to somebody if I was um, visiting them in the hospital. This is God's way of, you know, making you strong or something. Uh, but I think, or somebody who's suffering, you know, the storms of life. I'm not saying it's necessarily the most pastoral thing, but theologically, I do wonder if God, um, if God has the intention of actually making us better able to withstand the devil, uh, the, the the spiritual enemies that we have in the cosmic places, um, by by subjecting us to their their um, their troubles and learning over time repeatedly that I thought that He would take me out. But sure enough, the armor of God, you know, made me made me able to withstand that. So, so it's kind of strengthening our faith, building, making our strength. Is, is our faith anti-fragile? To use the the language of this writer. So, um, so maybe that's what God is up to. Um, in any event, that's what He promises to do. His motivations are not as clear to me, but but I've been wondering about that. All right. Um, there's one more, and it's from Pastor Luke, and I thought of it this morning. As I was finishing up my, um, I, I was finishing up my reading for the the Dominion Bible study we're doing, and I want to I want to touch on this because um, because it's such a great question. I know that because I thought of it myself. Um, so so we were we were doing this um, we're doing this Dominion Bible study, and I realized this is something that that I think I see all the time, and um, have quit seeing. You know, you you look at something over and over and over again. And you don't see it anymore. And I wanted to to point it out to you. So if, if we could look at the end of Mark's gospel, so uh, Mark um, is on. It ends on page fifty five in the the New Testament portion of the scriptures. And um, there's uh, there's the 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 Easter morning account. It says the resurrection of Jesus on the opposite page, beginning in sixteen. Um, but then it says on page 55, it says the shorter ending of Mark and the longer ending of Mark. 
and um, there's a, a lengthy footnote off to the side there. Um, you see the gigantic footnote there. And it says, some of the most ancient authorities bring the book to a close at the end of verse 8. One authority concludes the book with a shorter ending. Others include the shorter ending and then continue with verses 9 through 20 and so forth. So this is Mark 16. I'm sorry, Mark 16 on page 55. So there's this lengthy footnote that's saying, what do we do with this? What do we do with this long ending of, um, of, of Mark? Because we have, we have, um, we have, ancient manuscripts that are very good manuscripts, but they don't agree. And one of the things that, that's, that's interesting to me is that the, the specific verse that was quoted in the, um, in the Dominion book study came from one of these. So there's the question, what do we do with the parts of the Bible where the, the translators give us a gigantic footnote like this and say, uh, you know, we're not going to throw it out, but we're uneasy with including it. Um, let me give you another one that I like better. The Mark 16, um, you know... He's walking into those YouTube videos again. Um, let me give you another one that I'm pretty sure we all are more familiar with. Uh, so turn to page 101, sorry, 100, page 100 in the, the New Testament section. Here's another one of them. So it's chapter 8 of uh, John's Gospel. And this is very much like Mark 16. It says, um, the woman caught in adultery. Who here has heard the story, the woman caught in adultery, right? Have you ever heard that in church somewhere before, right? So, so, but it's got those same double square brackets around it, starting in verse 53 and going uh, to verse 11. And then a, a big footnote down at the bottom that says, the most ancient authorities lack this. Other authorities add the passage here, or after 736, or after 2125, or after Luke 21. So, um, so what do we do with these places in the Bible where there are these, these, um, these passages? In the case of the Easter accounts um, from Mark or, or this, uh, uh, this wonderful passage about the woman caught in adultery in John, what do we do with that if it's not in the most ancient, ancient um, manuscripts? Well, the answer is we, we do exactly what we, what we do in this translation. We put square brackets around it and we say, we don't want to lose it. We don't want to just throw it away because we don't know where it came from. But we're uneasy simply saying that we have as, as great confidence about this as we do from other, as, as we do the other parts of the scriptures. So I'm going to give you some, some thoughts on that very quickly. Um, one is um, we don't see this all the time. Usually when there's a footnote, it says, it says you know, the meaning of the Hebrew word is uncertain. What that means is it could be A or it could be B. It doesn't mean we have no clue. It means it's a word like so many words that could mean either of two things. So they put a little footnote and they say, here's what we think, but it could be the other thing. Okay, so there are so few passages where there's a lengthy chunk of scripture like this. Usually it's like one or two words that's missing. Um, so um, it gives me great confidence in the Bible every time I see one of these. Um, but the other thing is it reminds me that we are in conversation with uh, the whole church, not just the, the people down the street, but the ones from from the third century who said who said, "Look, we have been you know our community in the face of tremendous persecution, we have been making copies of these manuscripts and passing them down um, faithfully for two hundred years, and now it's the year three twenty three eleven and the Emperor Constantine has said Christianity is no longer illegal, and you guys can come out into the open and bring your manuscripts with you and we brought this, and we got it. And we were always told it was part of Mark, or we were told it was part of Luke, and we're going to bring it forward 
because we don't think it's something the church should lose. And so um, we're, part of, we're part of that tradition that goes back to, to people who lived in times we cannot imagine who held on to the scriptures and they said, this is important, we can't lose this. And I think that's the reason we put it in the little square brackets and we say, I don't know exactly where this comes from. I don't know if Luke wrote it, I don't know if Matthew wrote it, I don't know how it came to, to be detached from the rest of the, the, the scriptures, but, um, but what a great story. Who, who could make up that story about Jesus and the, the casting the first stone? Um, it's just an amazing, um, it's an amazing story. And if it's not, if it's not uh, scripture, if it doesn't properly belong in the, the Gospel of John, it's an, you know, there's a theologian somewhere who is terribly uncredited for making up such a great story that captures so perfectly the kind of um, savior Jesus is. So um, the the end of John, the end of, or the chapter eight of John, the end of Mark, the few passages where there are significant um, uh, uh, discrepancies in the manuscripts. I think that's an opportunity for us to reflect on just how how amazing the the scriptures are that we were able to receive them in the condition we do um, from people who suffered in ways we can't imagine people who showed amazing faithfulness to bring these texts to us today. So um, I will end with that. Um, let's uh, let's uh, close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the the Hebrew scriptures that inspire us and, and give us uh, background information to help us better understand the new covenant, the covenant that we live in today. And we thank you for all the, the um the writers of the New Testament documents, and we thank you for the church that, that sheltered them and preserved them through uh, dark times uh, down through the ages. We thank you for the scholars who, who bring them to us and uh, who uh, have the cultural and linguistic expertise to make them available to us in English. And um, most of all, we, pray, we, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who speaks to our hearts and helps us to uh, understand not just what the words mean, but what they mean to us. And Lord, we pray that you would guide us now as we take uh, these scriptures out and uh, seek to apply them in our lives this week. All these things, Lord, we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen.